0: There's nothing more rewarding. My life would be meaningless without spirituality. It's that valuable. So somebody who's close to that is missing something incredibly valuable.
1: Welcome to the Juggling the Chaos of Recovery podcast, where we focus on health and wellness and overcoming all types of addictions. You're in the right place if you're a mom, dad, sibling, or caregiver who has a loved one who is... Or was struggling with an eating disorder or any other kind of addiction. In a time where everything seems heavy, I'm here to bring you a very real yet lighthearted take on what the heck we're all supposed to do with our lives while we care for our loved ones who are struggling. One thing holds true throughout it all, you can't juggle the chaos without smiling, at least a little bit. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. I'm your host, Moira Gorski. So glad you are coming back to listen. And um, I love these days where I can bring guests on this podcast, not only for you to learn from, but, you know, selfishly a little bit for me to learn from as well. And I have always, um, you know, just been fascinating more and more with mindset work, with hypnotherapy, with NLP, with meditation and all of that. And so my guest today is um, involved in all of that, plus then some. Matthew Bronstein, who's coming to me today on this podcast, is the CEO of Anahat Education Group, the executive director of the Institute of Interpersonal Hypnotherapy. He's founded the International Association of Interpersonal Hypnotherapists and OnlineMonastery.com, which I'd love to hear more about that. And an author, again, a student, a teacher of many, many things. And so before I go any further, welcome Matthew to my podcast today.
0: Thank you, Maura. I appreciate you having me on.
1: Absolutely. I um am thrilled that you are here and again thrilled to just talk about again hypnotherapy and really just that mindset and how we really can work on, if you will, trying to control people around you and control ourselves. And at the end of the day, you know, it's that's not the best way to do it. Really, we have to work on um perhaps. What's going on in our mind and our mindset, and things like that. So, I'm always fascinated by why people are doing what they're doing today. So, and how they found their path. So, I'd love for you to start that way of how you got so interested in what you're doing today.
0: Yeah, my path began when I was 19 years old. And I would say I wasn't into any of this stuff. I was, if you asked me at the time, atheistic, agnostic. And yet, one night, for reasons I didn't understand at the time, I woke up spiritually. Um, It wasn't just, I wasn't suffering. I wasn't seeking something more. Uh, I was just lying in bed. I finished making love with my girlfriend. There's nothing out of the ordinary, really. Uh, And while we were just laying in bed, all of a sudden the room just went light, Um, not just brighter, but everything was light. Everything was made of the same stuff. It was one energy. That I was part of that. It's love. It's bliss. It's peace. It's joy. Uh, I just used the word God. I was like, oh, whatever they mean by God, this must be God. And you know, it's not being preachy. It was just in that moment, it's like, oh, okay, that exists. Whatever they've been talking about, that's it. But it went away, and I didn't experience it again the next morning. I thought I would wake up, and the rest of my life would be filled with divine love and joy. It was gone. It took 368 days. I know because I was writing in my journal. It took over a year to tap into that again. But at the time, at 19, I was in college, so I switched my major to philosophy, thinking the philosophers knew. They really didn't know. It was a lot of intellect. It's like that's not giving me that experience. I changed to religion as a major, and they talked about God, but they didn't teach you how to actually tap into the experience. It was maybe you know in the afterlife, but. I wanted that again, now. That's when I learned about mysticism, the branches of religion that give you practical techniques like meditation to tap back in. So I started finding Zen teacher, yoga teachers, Tai Chi, Qigong, Reiki. I studied everything in the university I could and then everything outside of it. And that's all I did. And I was really on the path to monkhood. I said, you know, I just, I wanna be a monk. I don't care about anything, but my experience of the divine. Yet, you know, what do you do with a degree in religion and philosophy? So I did go to different monasteries, um, but my parents kept saying, go back to school, go back to school. So eventually I did go back. I went to two different Chinese medical colleges because I said, well, if it's all about energy, that's what I tapped into. Maybe I could heal others by clearing energy blocks. So then Chinese medicine made sense, but it didn't go as deep as I wanted it to. The needles, the massage, the herbology, it was all great. Uh, But it wasn't what I wanted my life to be about. Eventually, I found hypnotherapy, and then I saw the power of the mind. And I realized, my God, anything that we can do in acupuncture, we can pretty much do with hypnotherapy, because all these energy blocks are largely emotional anyway. Uh, It's really clear in the field of Chinese medicine that emotions affect our bodily organs. But how do you really heal the mind and the emotions? you need techniques that go directly to the mental level i wasn't really impressed with western psychology not to put it down just like western medicine or eastern medicine it wasn't quite my thing once i found hypnotherapy it was so obvious that was my path i dropped two years of chinese chinese medical studies and really never looked back Mm,
1: yeah it's fascinating um uh, thanks for sharing all of that um I was out to breakfast with a friend yesterday and we were talking about, you know, surrender and giving up expectations and relationships and things like that. And um, she said, you know, look at the monks, they have nothing and they are the happiest, you know, that they can, that they can Mm -hmm. be, you know, when they can choose, choose that type of life. So I have so just as you were talking, I've heard had so many people, I love the power of meditation. And I've recently been introduced to hypno breath work as a form of meditation too. So I'd love to talk about that too. But I initially I know people say to me, you know, I can't, I can't meditate, I just can't get my, my brain to stop and things like that. And so what do you say to, to those type of people when Perhaps they say, you know, at meditation, it's just, I can't do it. I can't, I can't slow down enough. I don't really, I don't really get it. I don't think I can do it.
0: Yeah. having been in the field now for 30 years. I have heard that many times. My grandmother, like, darling, Matt, I can't say, old Jewish grandmother, I can't meditate. I can't stop my mind. To me, that's kind of comical, actually. I wouldn't say that directly if somebody's asking, but it's kind of silly to hear somebody say, I'm not flexible. That's why I don't do yoga. I'm overweight. That's why I don't exercise. I can't stop my mind. That's why I don't meditate. It's in the same way of thinking to say, wait, if you're not good at something, that's why you need to practice. So in most meditation meditative disciplines, it's called practice, not um uh, not really meditation, or we practice meditation. Like in Zen, we practice walking, we practice eating, we practice sleeping. You just want to be present to everything you do. So really it's all meditation. And the new more popular word that seems to be more user friendly is mindfulness, Mm -hmm. where we're just being asked to be more mindful. But if we sit down and be still, which is really the first step of almost any meditative discipline, uh, we will notice, yeah, that mind just doesn't stop. Instead of seeing it as something that needs to stop, like you don't stop your breath, you don't stop your heart beating, it's part of your anatomy. Nobody said you need to make your heart stop beating so you can have inner peace or an open heart means you have to, like it's it's something's going on inside that needs to shift. But imagine you're driving down a road and your car veers left and the steering wheel is just not so good. And then it veers right. It's just your job always to get the car to stay in the lane, right? And okay, it doesn't, but that's your practice. Just get it back to the moment. So it's not about stopping the mind. I encourage people just to watch their mind, right? And to realize you're in there, that you are not your mind, right? If somebody can say, oh my God, my mind never shuts up. One of the most important things we can do in the spiritual path is to say, who are you, right? Who am I? Am I this body? Like, if I remove my hands, am I less of a person? Like, no, I'm still here. I mean, it's a lot harder to live, but the, the me is still intact. And if I don't have emotions in any given moment, like let's say I'm not angry now, well, I'm still here. So, when emotion comes up, I'm not my emotions. And then you could eventually learn to do that to your mind. So, you say, I'm not my body, I'm not my emotions. And eventually, I'm not my mind. Once you start observing your own mind, it tends to quiet down because it's almost like it knows it's being watched. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And the more you can just pull back and watch it and just keep coming back. It talks, you come back to your breath. It says something else, you come back to your breath. But more important than trying to stop the mind, inquire as who's the one who's watching your mind. It's a very powerful and kind of fun practice because you sit down and just say, who am I? And just keep asking that. Who am I? Who's watching my thoughts? When your mind does get quiet, who's still there? Meditation is that which we put our attention upon. We could define meditation as putting your attention on something. The deepest meditative teachings I have found, which are really very simple, they just require a little bit of explanation, is put your attention on the observer. Be aware that you're aware. Learn to meditate on consciousness itself. And then you are skipping so many stages of meditation because the deepest teachings will tell you just meditate on spirit. And if consciousness and spirit are synonymous terms, just meditate on your own consciousness and you will go so much deeper than you could if you were just taking linear basic steps.
1: Mm, yeah, it's fascinating. <laughs> it's very fascinating. Um, you mentioned journaling when when you first started, and that's something that's become really important to me. And I find that that goes hand in hand with, or needs to, at least with me when I meditate, because I find that it's that type of thing. Like when I'm practicing meditation and bringing my car back to the straight lane, I love that, love that visual. You know, many times I say, you know, not, I don't want to think about that now, or that's not for now or something like that. But then and often I'll listen personally myself to a guided meditation of of sorts right. or some ambient music and things like that. And from there, usually when it's over, I start journaling and it's like bringing those thoughts out of my head onto that, mm-hmm. onto that journal. And I love that again, just to be, be curious and to ask those questions. Like, you know, it's just the simple, like oftentimes when I meditate, I will start to cry. Mm-hmm. and so then it's like being curious like why am i crying and what am i upset about and mm-hmm. what is that all about and having those having that free flow of thoughts it's it's very um it's intriguing when we do that mm-hmm. like you said to get to know really who we Who we are, Mm -hmm. what's going on up there, if you will. Yeah,
0: sure. Well, yeah, what I hear you saying is you could sit down, you stop and be still, you're journaling, you're exploring who are you, and there's an emotional person in there. (laughs) There's tears that come up. Um, So, my experience is teaching meditation for so long is when you ask someone just to stop and be still and stop suppressing your feelings and yet don't act out of your feelings, right? So, if you're crying, don't call a friend, just sit on the meditation cushion and don't suppress the tears. Then this goes more into the hypnotherapy side of things. or certainly meditative teachings apply here to where all those tears coming from, right? Who is this emotional heart? What we find when we look at the heart, the emotional heart, that's what we in hypnotherapy or lots of therapies would call the subconscious mind, right? And that's not, I don't believe your deepest, truest self, which I alluded to is really the consciousness itself, but the consciousness is aware that there's someone in there who's not okay, right? And a huge part of my life's work is helping that part that's not okay. Because I came to realize early on, there's nothing wrong with my soul, right? Spirit doesn't need to be healed. The term spiritual healing is kind of a non-sequitur because spirit's already healed. It's already whole. But who is this part who's crying? And that's a really important journey to take. Uh, there's work. By Debbie Ford, just a general theme called "The Dark Side of the Light Chasers." So, so many people who get into this stuff are seeking the light, but they're not addressing the shadow side. And what you're talking about, like noticing, wait, somebody's crying in here, uh, whether well, it's tears of joy or whatnot. But you know, clearly, people have the sadness, the hurt, the fear, the anger, the grief, the guilt. If we just ignore that because we're trying to be spiritual we are really carrying a big ball and chain on our way to move the divine. We really need to look at what is this ball and chain? What is this lower self or inner child? Not lower in a pejorative sense, but my consciousness can look down and observe my heart. And if that's not okay, my experience is that's so much where the work needs to be.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. Along those lines, when someone says, um, again, that they feel blocked, and things like that. Um, this is what I believe. It seems like when you're blocked, there are those, we haven't looked down, like you said, at your heart enough, and we haven't explored that and, and just be present with the fact that, oh, our heart is hurting, you know, or we're sad and things like that. I mean, that's what we're, is that how you, is that how it's, how that is? If it's, again, you feel like you're blocked, is it because there are those, stuck emotions, if you will. I don't know if I'm using the right words, but these are the words that I've, you know, mm-hmm. I've used or heard and things like that.
0: Yeah, sure. Even if we're not speaking at a professional level about it. Yeah, people feel blocked, right? People feel stuck. People feel like something isn't right. Like if you take the time to stop and be still, you realize I'm not okay in here. And you know, until you're at the state of like Buddhist enlightenment, right? you're not okay. Something's not all right. So when I had that first spiritual awakening, I started looking into why does that happen? It must have happened to other people, you know, Buddha and the world saints and sages. They have tapped into these things, you know, to incredible degrees. Why are most of us not tapped in? I am a Course in Miracles teacher and student. And the course itself begins by saying, this is a course on love. It's a required course, meaning eventually we're all gonna have to learn love or remember what love really is. It says, but love can't be taught to you We can only help you to remove the blocks to the awareness of love's presence, which is your natural inheritance. So, I learned about these blocks, energy blocks, early on in my studies. And that's why I went into Chinese medicine thinking, oh, if they're energy blocks, I can remove these energy blocks using acupuncture needles or related modalities. But the more you see that these blocks are mental and emotional, you need to approach it at the mental emotional level, again, which is what led me to hypnotherapy. So yes, I would definitely say there are blocks to the awareness of who we truly are. But those blocks aren't in our own consciousness. I mean, that's not where the problem is. The blocks are very much in the subconscious mind, the emotional mind. And once we explore that more, we see there's essentially an inner child in there. But depending on all the different traumas and places we got stunted you might say there's many inner children in there right you got a five-year-old uh, we got an eight-year-old you have a 13-year-old any part of you that didn't grow up and integrate into the whole of you absolutely needs to be addressed or we're just never experiencing our wholeness right so yeah i support the idea that yes people are blocked and there are ways to clear those blocks you know thank god we're not stuck with that so if somebody's still struggling with it there are absolutely ways to get clear Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. Um,
1: And I want to ask a little bit or talk a little bit more about that. But you know, just give light to the fact that like this is a podcast about recovery and eating disorders and just dis- addictions and things like that. And my daughter's been involved in seven years of, you know, traditional type of therapies and treatments and many people that listen to this have been and although there is some value in that, I feel like if this what we're talking about today, if this is really not addressed, those that inner child or those things that are blocking or those traumas or whatever, if we don't, you know, these, like you're saying, these things can't just be like, okay, here's a little worksheet to work on. We're going to solve all your issues, really, unless we do some uncovering over here, um, then as you're saying, you know, you don't have true enlightenment or you're not tapped in, or I just, I truly believe that we're not able to really live our best life, if you will, if we don't address these type of things.
0: Yes. Well, you know, in the hypnotherapy field, we're all about behavior modification, right? So we're well known for our smoking and the weight loss. Yet it's much more elaborate than that. Um, but I hear you when somebody's recovering or they're addicted or whatnot, we just want to ask what motivates behavior, right? So my experience has been your past events, which now become memories, right, which are living in your subconscious mind. So you have memories within our system. Those contain negative beliefs about self. Like so you get somebody really uh, abused you and then you conclude i'm worthless i'm stupid i'm not good enough i'm trapped i'm helpless i'm powerless i'm out of control i'm dirty i'm disgusting right we get all these type of beliefs depending what happens to us those beliefs cause our emotions right so during these events we start concluding negative things about ourselves and then we have negative emotional responses. We get hurt, we become sad, we get scared of the hurt, we start getting angry at that which is hurting us as a way to try to stop it. We start feeling guilty, we start feeling shame, but we don't know what to do with any of this. And it those be, that becomes the blockage, right? Those are mm-hmm. our blockages. All of that is what motivates behavior. It's really like, it's that simple really your behaviors come from the beliefs and emotions in your subconscious mind until those are cleared and then something else starts running the show your divine mind but until or your superconscious mind until then you have an inner child running your life Right? And if you realize you have a seven-year-old disturbed child motivating your life, you're right. You're not enlightened and you're not living your very best life. And we don't have to talk about the highest states of enlightenment. That's a big word. But just a functional, happy, healthy life where you think what you want to think, you feel what you want to feel, you live the life you want to live until you deal with those blocks in the heart, in the subconscious. Um, yeah, it's not just even about reprogramming them in hypnotherapy we can completely transform them and if people are holding on to like your audience who might be struggling with addiction and whatnot um, if you're dealing with past traumatic memories that are not yet resolved find a way to heal those because you won't know what the word liberation means until those are cleared um, my experience of working with clients over the years is more people have been abused in various degrees in childhood than we like to admit and yeah, until you go through and process and clear those memories, um, yeah, you won't be able to say, "Oh my God, I feel truly liberated." But go through those, and that's usually the word I hear when I help someone to resolve those issues. Like, "Oh my God, I feel so free," and that's mm-hmm. really what it comes down to: is being free, yep. not bound by an addiction, but certainly not bound by your childhood anymore. Mm-hmm. Right, and many people will
1: say, "Well, I didn't have a big trauma. You know, I wasn't, you know, again abused mm-hmm. sexually or physically or things like, but." And like you're saying, things happen. And as I've mentioned on this podcast before, like those lies that we've heard, then they became the law. We take them to be the law with us or, you know, our father, you know, I woke up one morning, I heard this in a course that I took and somebody shared this experience, you know, she woke up in the morning, came downstairs downstairs. Her father's suitcase was by the front door and her father left and her parents divorced and she took it to believe that men leave. And so we have those experiences. And then again, like you're saying, those beliefs that are stored in our subconscious and then our behaviors that we take you know, are as a result of that. But sometimes we don't understand that until we do this type of inner work. And um, again, I think it's fascinating. I've been fascinated and been doing the work for a while again to just, um, and I find it just fascinating. I've been to different therapists, one in particular. I remember she did some, I don't know what she called it, but she put the headphones on with some music and then did walk me through this. I think she called it an inner child exercise, but took me back to that child of, you know, certain years. And we talked through that and emotions and all that. It's really a really powerful practice to, you know, I remember at least at the end, like putting my arm around that little child and said, you know, you're okay and we're okay and we're making it. And, you know, at that time, I think it's fascinating.
0: Oh, yeah. It's to, you know, different people are doing that kind of work to different degrees. But the fact that either way, the intention is to go into your heart, go into your subconscious. And like you said, somebody might say, but I wasn't traumatized. Uh, I just would go back to the idea of cause and effect there. That if you have an effect, if you are doing something or feeling something that you're not feeling good about, there's a cause to that. And if it's some, if it's psychosomatic illness or a behavior motivated by emotions, something caused that. Our model of hypnotherapy is interpersonal hypnotherapy. And what we acknowledge is quite often in hypnosis, we will do a regression back to the cause of a problem and we were often in the classical model looking for what's called the ISE or initial sensitizing event, right? One big thing must have happened that caused this. That's not actually the case. Like you were alluding to, once we start exploring the subconscious, we realize it's not so much about the events, it's about the relationships. Like the example you gave. Well, dad left. Okay, well, therefore, what did you conclude about yourself? I'm not lovable, I'm not good enough, I'm not pretty enough. Like so, all those beliefs. Created emotions, right? I got sad that he left. I'm scared that nobody's going to love me again. I'm angry because I feel like a victim. Whatever that story is, it doesn't have to be, okay, well, you weren't sexually abused, but you have your story. And if that story is not yet processed and healed, then that cause most certainly has an effect. I like the metaphysical model that all thought will inevitably externalize itself. So if you're holding thoughts like, I'm not good enough, there are no neutral thoughts. You can't have that in your subconscious mind and think it doesn't have an effect. So no neutral thoughts. If you have one negative thought with one negative emotion, that's more than good enough to cause a problem in your life. And it's not hard to heal that stuff. Like you said, you did some form of a regression or some inner child work. You put your arm around the child. You know, people don't always do that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how many like men are going through their life just completely, and and women, you know, how many people are completely shut off from their feelings, and they haven't done the simple exercise of go into an altered state, like put on headphones, get relaxed, bring your inner child in, and just give that little person a big hug. And there's much more to hypnotherapy than that, of course, but right. how many people are doing what we just described? You <laughs> know, that's a really good starting point: is give your inner child a big hug brought to you by Gorski Wellness and the possibility of a
1: better you. Are you feeling sluggish? Ready for a change? Need more energy? Up for a bigger challenge? I'm Moira Gorski, retired nurse and wellness advocate. For over 22 years, I've been helping people live healthier lives while making small changes each and every day. Those small changes lead my clients to living a healthier lifestyle with markedly better health. As a brand ambassador for the Shackley Corporation, the most clinically proven wellness company in the world, I guide my clients to make healthier choices each day with their food, supplements, skin care, workouts, and mindset. They say getting started is half the battle. Let's make healthy happen together. If you're ready for simple, natural, sustainable solutions to feeling and looking your best, let's connect. You'll find a link in the show notes or reach out to me at moiragorski.com here's to a better you. Yeah, it's powerful work. I wonder, um, a couple of weekends ago, I've done some hypno breath work before. Um, and then a couple of weekends ago, I was at a women's uh, event in North Carolina. And one of the gals that was part of the um, the weekend is, um, you know, that's her, that's her business. That's what she has Um, It was before, but she did other things. But anyway, she's so that's what she and so she she led us through several times during the weekend, this hypno breath work. And um, I find it very powerful. And again, maybe you can explain it. Perhaps it's, it's it's probably it's what we've been talking about. But, you know, I guess my question is, like, why? Why does it? you know, maybe explain why, why it works because what I found, you know, I'm a crier. (laughs) If I, if you haven't learned that already, I think I do have, I know there's a lot there, um, with my heart and I've been working on my, opening up my heart and loving my heart for the last few years. But, um, you know, this 18 minutes of hypno breath work, two breaths to one exhale, um, by about, I don't know, 13 or 14 minutes, I have a very emotional response to it. Mm -hmm. And I truly believe it's because I have more healing to do and things like that. But it's, but I guess what's fat besides all that being fascinated, just the idea that like all of a sudden it comes on, like you don't expect it. And I think that's probably the hypnotherapy type of thing that like you're doing okay. And I'm breathing. And then in North Carolina, it was just this, you know, sobbing and like just came about I was like wow Mm -hmm. where did that come from yeah so it's cool I think it's again I love it and uh, again I'm I do believe I mean I'd continue to do it because there's more and more to be um, healed or released or whatever but wondered if you could talk a little bit to that about what happens there
0: yeah definitely I don't know if anybody could really explain physiologically why hyper-oxygenating your body, it's not really hyperventilating, you're spending an enormous amount of, I'm gonna say life force into your system, why does that cause your emotions to start to detox and to purify, to purge? Uh, It's better to explain it in an energetic model. So if you think about emotion, emotion, energy in motion, when an emotion comes up, we literally feel it come up, right? Because you're in there, like you're the consciousness, you're observing, and all of a sudden this feeling comes up, like, oh, well, I don't like this emotion, right? This is this is a negative emotion. I don't like the sadness. I don't like to be afraid. At all. I don't like to be angry. I hate that. I hate. I hate my guilt. Um, so what do we do with that? We suppress it. And what's the best way? Not that it's good to suppress, but what's the most effective way to suppress? Tense your body and stop your breathing and then dissociate from your feelings to some degree. So that's usually what happens when we close the heart. We tense our bodies. I think about a child like, oh, I'm not gonna feel this. If you you can make yourself numb by kind of locking your body up, like body armoring. So realize when an emotion comes up, if we try to stop it by tensing or holding our breath or and or disconnecting from it, the emotion goes into a holding pattern. That's where we create the energy block. emotion can move right through us and the system restores itself to balance but not if we touch it i mean like you break it you buy it kind of thing you touch it you own it if you touch an emotion and try to stop it you started today talking about control people are trying to control things control things and that's not what the monks do you know it's not what the great (laughs) saints and sages teach us about let go and let god right so When you suppress an emotion you create a blockage you put it into a holding pattern what happens with breath work is it does the opposite of the suppression mechanism right we're having like and if you call it hypnotic or hypno breath work then you're implying like maybe some sense of relaxation like some people might do you don't need to but you could do a hypnotic induction first get the person really relaxed have them start breathing And usually within about 10 minutes, people start noticing physiological, uh, physical symptoms, something somatic, something visceral. It's like, oh, my heart feels heavy. My belly is locking up. I'm shaking. I'm sweating. Uh, I'm starting to notice tears, but I don't even know why. It's so interesting to notice. In 10 minutes of breathing, You're really sad, but you don't even know why. (laughs) But then usually, or whatever the emotion would be. Then after another 10, 20, 30 minutes, depends on how you do the process and who the person is. You're more open even doing this work. So 13 minutes, you have emotion coming up. Most people, 20 to 30 minutes, depending on the type of breath work you're doing, emotion starts coming up. Uh, Essentially, instead of stopping the breath, you're adding so much more breath. And if you think of the energy blocks, Uh, as energy then when there's enough energy added to it it forces it to consciousness essentially that's the subjective experience of somebody doing breath work oh my god my stuff is coming up why physiologically we don't i don't think anybody really knows but um energetically we know if you put enough life force in your body it's going it's similar to those who are getting into plant medicine with ayahuasca and those type of things. It it essentially does the same thing. Just an enormous amount of energy put, pushes your stuff to consciousness. A lot of people do that in groups and they don't really get proper facilitation. You know, in a group of fifty people, everybody's crying and screaming and yelling and laughing and and you'll get some energy shifts but you don't have the one-on-one facilitation. So if you work with an individual practitioner who's tr- well-trained in these and qualified you know, to use all these techniques, um, yeah, usually within, I would say, a two-hour session, whatever is blocking you would not be blocking you at the end. Uh, so yeah, it's, I can, you know, and you're seeing it for yourself, I can't speak highly enough of using a hypnotherapy breath work approach. Um, people are just catching on. This is much more effective than psychoanalysis. (laughs) We can Mm -hmm. seriously clear the blocks in the subconscious. And I like the model that we help the able to be more able. My dear mentor, Mr. Gilboyne, he called hypnotherapy a therapy for the people. And the idea is we're not necessarily dealing with diagnosed mental health conditions we're just average, healthy, functional people who would like to be more functional, who would like to be more free. And breathwork is an amazing way to do that. You might not want to do that with somebody with dissociative identity disorder, but mm-hmm. you know, for the average, pretty well functional person, get a few breathwork sessions. I'm trained in rebirthing primarily. So we recommend 10 rebirthing sessions. You can clean house. You know, You won't be able to find any more blocks. The blocks are limited the divine light and love inside of us is unlimited, right? So that the true us is eternal. It's not going away. The blockages can go away. And once they're gone, they're gone for good. You won't get them back. So when you get free, you're truly free. But yeah, you have to be brave like you are to to do the work. (laughs) To do the work,
1: right. Yeah. Yeah. And um, yeah, thanks for the, uh, just a reminder to keep doing that because I was experienced it sometime within this two year of, the time that we lost with the pandemic. Sometime within that, um, I was at a gal's house in her backyard, and somebody came to facilitate a whole an hour of breath work. And that was my first introduction to it. And um, again, a wonderful facilitator. And um and again, at the end, you know, just with different things that again, she spoke to us, music playing and things like that, and things for us to think about and and all that. And uh fascinating what I thought about and saw and heard and all that. Mm-hmm. But at the end, of course, <laughs> as it would be, I mean, I sat up and she said, let's go in the porch and we'll all talk about this. I sat up and just all the emotions came out. I'm like, I'm not uh-huh. going anyplace." And yeah. so I really want people to hear that too. You know, I think it's, that was a great introduction, but I felt like I was so vulnerable and raw at that point. And I... Mm-hmm. We, she did spend time with me and all that, but it was, I felt like I couldn't even like be around other people. Like it would have been really wonderful as that one-on-one kind of facilitating to really, for me to process what was happening and what I was going through and things like that. And so I think that there's a lot of value in that being in a small group or that individual um, mm-hmm. practitioner, if you will, that can really help you guide because there is you know, like you said, um, we have been su- America, people suppress these emotions. And, um and we don't know that until we start to do these, this brave work to bring mm-hmm. that out.
0: Yes, yeah, for sure. So if you think about the breathwork process, it's actually remarkably simple, right now that you know how to tell someone how to do that kind of breathing you could go do a workshop with 50 people right and put yourself out there as a breathwork specialist and really what do you know how to do you know how to tell someone how to do a certain type of circular breathing are you trained i'm not saying you specifically but all these people mm-hmm. out there doing this are they trained in the one-on-one facilitation uh, and honestly i think a lot of people are not because it's just such an easy and relatively safe technique i mean i don't know of any documented harm that's come from circular breathing. Um, So it's safe to have someone do that, but you do need extensive training and knowing how to process what comes up. And that's what we're all about as a hypnotherapy school is really focusing, not just when we get to the breath work section, not just, okay, this is how to tell your client to breathe, but within two hours, here's what to do with the content that comes up. And that does require many hundreds of hours of training.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I and that makes me think of um, our daughter, when she was in her last um, treatment stay, uh, one of the things that they offered her was ketamine treatment. And um, um, I've had, you know, lots of conversations with people since then. And um, again, I think the value of that the ketamine was, yes, what the ketamine did for her to, as she said, it opened up the floodgates and talk about Mm -hmm. releasing emotions. But then she had an incredible therapist who was able to sit with her during that time, after that time and process all of that. And that led to the opening up in family therapy sessions. And then the things that we could talk through and the things that had been blocked for years. So yeah, I can't emphasize that enough is that having that person that can. I mean, we can all get go get ketamine ourselves or ayahuasca or whatever. I mean, I've seen shows on ayahuasca. Like, I think you want to be with somebody that <laughs> knows how to take care of you, if you will, or lead you or help you when the when that happens, the emotions come mm-hmm. up and things like that. Um, yeah. It's, you know, like mm-hmm. you said, people aren't necessarily going to be there's no been no harm or however you said that physical harm with mm-hmm. people. Breathing, but um, there's a lot of stuff that can, you know, can come up from there. I just find this so fascinating. I really, and I love what you said. It makes me, my um, doubting mind uh, say, you know, when you said, Oh yeah, you do about whatever you say, eight to 10 rebirthing sessions and pretty much you're clear of all those blocks. I'm like, really? <laughs> can well, I get rid of n- all of
0: that stuff? <laughs> well, no, is, not necessarily in 10 sessions, but Um, I might work with a client for a year, two, three years, like longest client was four years. Um, But at some point we get, okay, you graduated, you have cleared all your blocks. So I can't say when, because you never know how many blocks a person comes in with. But if we're working in the block model, like I said, there's a limited number of blocks, meaning a limited number of sessions can get you free of all of that. But yeah, um, ketamine, ayahuasca, Group breath work—it can be really powerful done in the group experience. Something, and feelings that you can't get when you work one on one. Right? You get twenty people in a room, all breathing, or all doing ayahuasca. It's a powerful experience. Um, and again, most likely no harm is going to come from that. Yet the facilitation really can just save you time because sometimes somebody will do something like that and they realize, oh my god, I had all these repressed memories I didn't even know what they were in there. Great. Mm. Now go get therapy. <laughs> right. Right. Um, right. Like, okay. This, this ketamine burst you open. You realized, Oh, I have a lot of pain in my heart. Okay. But you can't expect the catalyst like ayahuasca or something that brought it up to truly facilitate the healing, just like breath work. You can move the emotion, but it I can't emphasize enough having a well-trained therapist move you through your feelings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
1: Um, we could uh, talk about this for so, so long. But um, mm-hmm. I think I'd love for you to share um some resources with my listeners of things that if they're curious about, I mean, obviously, you have a school and you have some resources yourself. and um but just things if people are interested or curious in looking into this a little bit more, maybe some resources that you could provide if there are meditations or books or just things that people might be um. Just as a starting point.
0: Yeah, certainly. So totally free. So the first thing that comes to mind is onlinemonastery.com. It's one of my projects. It's a meditation system that came to me in my own meditations and contemplations. Without going into all the details, it's the most powerful thing I have discovered. Um, And I'd rather teach somebody else's system, but this is extremely effective and unique. So it's onlinemonastery.com. It's over 100 hours of free meditation training that leads to a certification if people are interested in actually teaching it. Um, and it that goes into pretty much everything I could offer when it comes to the meditative disciplines. When it comes to the opening the heart teachings, knowing what to do with the if you just go into YouTube and type in my name, Matthew Brownstein, opening the heart, you're gonna hear some lectures about what to do with the Don't push them down, but don't act out on them. And if you're not gonna suppress your emotions you're not going to act out on them, what do you do with them? And honestly, they don't train us in that in high school and college. And, mm-hmm. you know, when do you learn actually how to clear your emotional blocks? So my opening the heart teachings are catered very much to that. Uh, and then if I could plug one of my books, the Sutras on Healing and Enlightenment has a whole chapter on the breath, chapter nine, is called the breath. And it explains very much what you were asking me to explain, but, you know, in a whole chapter about why breath work works. Yet the whole book is about the healing process of transforming the psyche back into wholeness, but how that's synonymous with the enlightenment process. So it starts by saying healing and enlightenment are synonymous terms with with which both arise with the knowledge and awareness of truth. So it really is a return to who we truly are, the truth of who we are, uh, in the healing and enlightenment process. So I certainly recommend that. And then, yeah, somebody else besides me, I did recommend Debbie Ford's book, The Dark Side of the Light Chasers. That's a super valuable teaching for people who are trying to move towards the light, hence the word trying, <laughs> because mm-hmm. they're not actually dealing with the shadow side. And we can spend so many years. I mean, I lived in India in the Himalayas, and in my and the afternoons, I spend healing people, because even though these people lived at an ashram for 30 years and meditated, they kept trying to go to the light, but they had the same subconscious content as virtually anyone else. You know, these are very advanced meditators, but nobody actually taught them, you have to address your subconscious mind, you have to deal with your actual human emotions as well. So yeah, the dark side of the light chasers, that type of philosophy. And if anybody has not found A Course in Miracles yet, uh, I cannot recommend that enough. Getting into it, it's not always good to just start reading it from page one. So Marianne Williamson's book, A Return to Love, is a wonderful primer for A Course in Miracles. So Marianne Williamson, A Return to Love. And then if you get into A Course in Miracles the workbook is the part of it that allows for the major transformations. If you just study the text, you get an intellectual understanding, which can be hard to grasp. It's a super deep text. But if you jump ahead to the workbook and do one lesson a day, 365 lessons, after one year, your life will not be the same. It mm. it dismantles your ego and then transforms you back into who you really are, a spirit, the return to love. And... Um, it's simple, it's gentle, it's easy. So yeah, anybody who hasn't found that yet, who's on the spiritual path, of Course in Miracles. Mm-hmm. Those are great. That's awesome. I took those notes. I'll put
1: them in um, the show notes as well. Um, really fascinating. I'm excited to look into some of those resources um, as well. This just came up when I was uh, hearing you speak like w- in all of your travels, because I, um, you've shared some travels in all of your travels. What's your what was your favorite place to to be at?
0: I've oh, <laughs> moved 37 times. So the ones that come to mind, uh, upstate Washington State, the San Juan Islands are gorgeous. I live in the Adirondacks now. That's by far my favorite place, upstate New York. I lived in Colorado. That's the Estes Park, Rocky Mountain National Park area is amazing. Utah, I live there. Zion National Park, incredible. I lived in Santa Fe. That's phenomenal. I could go on and on. Mm-hmm. Um, the other place I really don't like is Florida. Um, I, I have my corporation family there. I try to stay away from there as much as possible. I love Washington, D.C. and the Virginia Shenandoah Mountains. So that's a handful. But yeah, I've been around yeah. the block. um, But my favorite by far now is the Adirondacks of upstate New York.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, was introduced to Montana this summer um, and I haven't been, I've traveled around. I was, I was born in Michigan, grew up out East. And so I've done some traveling and camping with my family, you know, in the New England and all that, but nothing Mm -hmm. really out where Montana is and, you know, Pacific Mm -hmm. Northwest and all that. And uh, I mean, Montana was it's like unreal. It doesn't even look real when you're hiking and it's just Mm -hmm. quite amazing. And um, when my daughter was, she was in Denver a few times for treatment. And there was one time I went for a weekend when it was her birthday. And, um, but I had quite a bit of free time and my brother lives out there. And I said, you know, what should I do? I got a few hours. He goes, go to Red Rocks. I'm like, okay. So I headed there and, um, I mean I st- again I'm a crier. <laughs> but I started to have this emotional experience. I was just walking through Red Rocks and I just started to weep. It was so such beauty. Um mm-hmm. and really what what I shared afterwards is what I was really feeling was that there was so much beauty around me and but something you know we pulled our daughter out of college and put her on a plane to go to Denver to get some help because she was so sick. And so something so negative and sad had brought me to this most beautiful place. And so it was Mm. this just realization of that. And it was um, such beauty there. And so that's what I look forward to. I love to travel, but I look forward to as my, you know, our youngest is 19 and oldest is 27 and our daughter lives with us now, but nobody else does. And so my husband and I talk often about let's go travel. Like let's go to the Pacific Northwest. Let's go to some of these places i'll stay away from florida i'm not a fan of florida i <laughs> um, i'd love to go to the north and south carolinas and the uh, whatever mm-hmm. that sand something or other islands in you know washington state i've never been there so
0: um, oh yeah most people yeah. don't know about those yeah the san Juan islands off of the northwest coast of the continental u.s so mm-hmm. special yeah for yeah. sure Yeah.
1: So I appreciate you sharing that. Um, Please tell people where, I mean, your website is, just tell people again, what your website is so that they can find, find you.
0: Yeah. Our main website is instituteofhypnotherapy.com. That's where we offer state licensed training in hypnotherapy. Uh, So instituteofhypnotherapy.com. And again, the meditation website is onlinemonastery.com. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: I'm going to check that out. I, I was curious about that when I looked at your bio. I'm like, what is that all about? So, mm-hmm. uh, but you've given me lots of wonderful things for me to check out, and I know that my listeners uh, have uh, have lots of things to check out too. And really, just appreciate you sharing all of this wisdom here with me today and with my audience. Um, and I just truly believe that again, because it's been my journey too. I mean, growing up in a very Baptist religious home. And coming to the point, and you know, being trained as a nurse and that traditional, if you will, and then coming to the point that, like, it's taken me a while to kind of open up. It took me a while to open up because I was like, it seemed so out of the you know out of what I was Mm
0: -hmm.
1: brought up to believe, and you know that spirit stuff. You know, as my mother would say, "Well, that's the devil's work." I'm like, Mm -hmm. "Uh, not really, and um. Again, I've told people this story so many times, but, and I'll just make it brief. I mean, there was a couple of people, one in Denver that we went to this little Indian lady at this little spiritual shop who, um, as I know now did a, you know, she read my chart, my astrological chart, as well as my daughters. And then another intuitive, um, here back in Illinois, both told me that a female figure was coming up and that I ought to spend some more time with my mother. And, um, those two signs to me, if you will, um, was my indication to go spend time with my mother who pretty much from that moment on, if you will, I'm doing quotes, but, you know, you know, her health started to decline. And I was like, what are you telling me? I need to spend and be of service to my mom. But, you know, as the intuitive said, she said, no, I just don't think that she's going to be with you in the same realm, you know? And that's what happened. She Mm -hmm. got, you know, she struggled with her health. She was finally diagnosed with Parkinson's and then she passed a year ago, a year and a half, you know, a year ago, April, Mm -hmm. but those indications from spirit, which I never told her that because I was like, oh, Mm -hmm. she's going to think I'm, but you know, those two beautiful messages to me gave me a chance to heal some things with my mother you know, Mm -hmm. and to let things end well and to forgive the past and all of that stuff. And that was my first, like, real sign, like, there is something to this. (laughs) There is Mm -hmm. something to this spirit world and this meditation and this consciousness and subconsciousness. And so I just say that because I encourage people to just be open, just be open Mm -hmm. to what comes your way and the possibility that, you know, there's something here in this world, if you will. Yeah. So um, those are my last words. Um, Any last words from you, um, Matthew?
0: I'll just build upon what you said there. Yes, people who aren't open minded, because they're like, "Oh, it's the devil or whatnot." Um, That's just fear. It's just all fear based thinking. And and in a course of miracles, there's only two emotions: fear or love. And if you want to say love and spirit are the same thing, then my experience has been that's always the way to go. Not towards spirit. I'm sorry. Not towards um ego and fear but towards spirit and love and when you open your mind to that you open up to this infinite world of possibilities instead of this very limited fear-based one so now you're like wow there's psychics there's intuitives there's divine guidance there's healed relationships i mean that's the path of love um it doesn't mean you have to believe in psychics but the truth is like the more you open up the more intuitive you become and then you realize oh i can tap into that same source that these, quote, psychics mm-hmm. are tapping into. So yeah, uh, my my closing words when I'm in a podcast is to stay on the path. And what is the path? Spirituality, really, like whatever we call that, whatever religion you're in or whatnot, but find that the path. Because yeah, there's nothing more rewarding. My life would be meaningless without spirituality. It's that valuable. So somebody who's close to that is missing something incredibly valuable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you.
1: Thank Thank you. you. I really appreciate you being here and so wonderful to have found you or you found me and um, so that we could share this great message today. So thank you again, Matthew. Thank you listeners. And we'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, head over to iTunes and leave me a five-star review, share it with others and make sure you hit the subscribe button. So you don't miss a thing. I've got a tribe over on Facebook. So head over there in search for Juggling the Chaos of Recovery podcast tribe. And do you know somebody who has a story, a story to share, a story of recovery and hope? Please let me know as I'd love to feature them as a guest on one of these next upcoming podcasts. And perhaps you're looking for a community of like-minded, collaborative and supportive people who cheer each other on as we strive to improve our lives. If that sounds like something you've been looking for, schedule some time with me. You'll find the links in the show notes. Let's talk and let me help you find your way. And I'm here to tell you that you're worth it.